Our reading this morning is from Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 to 30. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself, because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I'm confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died, but God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I'm all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad, and I have many less anxiety. So then, welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honour people like him, because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you join me in prayer? Father God, we pray that you'd open your word to us this morning. We pray, Lord, that you'd soften our hearts that we would hear you speak. We'd like you to encourage us today, Lord. We'd like you to strengthen us. And you say that your word is there to encourage us, so please bring it alive and help me as I speak, that we might all draw nearer to you. In Jesus' name, amen. There's a sense, isn't there? I I don't know, I'm sure you're sensing it, I am, that um, this morning every minute counts it's just that sense of knowing that we're not going to be able to do this for a bit that um, I'm treasuring every second so thank you for being here in this sermon series uh, which is all has a background of a shaking world I decided before lockdown actually was announced that I would speak today about a vital resource for when the world is shaking. Because it's becoming clear, more and more clear, that this corona crisis isn't going away for some time yet. And so our response actually needs to change from applying quick fixes to thinking about what can we build into our lives so that we can be resourced and strengthened on an ongoing basis. Now, I'm sure that in many houses, like um, our house, there is somewhere in the house a supply of essential medicines, maybe even a first aid kit. And it's all there, you know it's there somewhere, but you don't really look in it and you don't really have use of it until the day comes when 
you cut yourself and then a plaster becomes really, really useful. Or let's take another idea, a, a toolkit. I've got a, a toolkit tucked away. I, I am the least practical person in the world. But having just moved house with a lot of pictures to go up on the walls, a hammer has come out of the toolkit which hasn't seen the light of day for years. But all of a sudden, a hammer has been very, very useful. Well, imagine you have a spiritual toolkit somewhere in your house. And what I'm talking about today, I think for many of us, it's been there in the toolkit. We've known about it. It's not new. But this is a period where, like me in the hammer, we need to retrieve it and value it. And suddenly it's going up in our value system. Suddenly with lockdown staring us in the face, it is super valuable. It always has been, but now it's super valuable. And what it is, and what I'm going to talk about, is friendship, but more than that, fellowship. Fellowship. And I'll explain the difference as we go along. It's a vital resource that God has provided for all his followers. The vital resource God has provided for all his followers is all around you. It's us. It's you. It's me. And we're going to see this. I'm going to illustrate it through looking at various episodes in the Apostle Paul's life and what he has to say. Now, I don't know what your picture of Paul is. I, I don't know what kind of a guy you think he was. Um, sometimes I think he must have been exceptionally physically tough because we know that he endured extraordinary testing things. He was stoned, he was whipped, he was imprisoned, he was ship, shipwrecked. So I don't think he's going to have been a wimp. We know that he was a leader of leaders. We know that he was intellectually a colossus. But we also know, if we choose to pick up on it, that he recognized that he needed help and support of other people. He knew his vulnerabilities, and he knew despite all those qualifications, he could never get by on his own. The reading I would have loved someone to read, but I didn't have the heart to give it to anyone, so I'm going to read it, comes from the end of Romans 16. If you've got a Bible with you, uh, or on your phone, or on your app, you can look it up. But I'm going to read it anyway. And the reason I didn't have the heart to give to anyone else is it's just chock-a-block with names. It's the, kind, it's the kind of reading when you're halfway through and you think, where did Tom, Dick, and Harry go? But uh, here we go. And I'm, I'm reading it from uh, the message version. And I'll just um, tell you that in the NIV version, it would translate a lot of these things with greet so-and-so. And Eugene Peterson has substituted the word hello to instead of greet. Okay, here we go. Romans 16. Be sure to welcome our friend Phoebe in the way of the master with all the generous hospitality we Christians are famous for. I heartily endorse both her and her work. She's a key representative of the church. Help her out in whatever she asks. 
She deserves anything you can do for her. She's helped many a person, including me. That's Paul writing. She's helped many a person, including me. Say hello to Priscilla and Aquila, who have worked hand in hand with me in serving Jesus. They once put their lives on the line for me, and I'm not the only one grateful to them. All the non-Jewish gatherings of believers also owe their plenty to say nothing of the church that meets in their house. Hello to my dear friend Eponetus. He was the very first follower of Jesus in the province of Asia. Hello to Mary. What a worker she's turned out to be. Hello to my cousins, Andronicus and Junius. We once shared a jail cell. They were believers in Christ before I was. Both of them are outstanding leaders. Hello to Ampliatus, my good friend in the family of God. Hello to Urbanus, our companion in Christ's work, and my good friend Stachys. Hello to Apelles, a tried and true veteran in following Christ. Hello to the family of Aristobulus. Hello to my cousin Herodian. Hello to those who belong to the Lord from the family of Narcissus. Hello to Tryphena and Tryphosa, such diligent women in serving the Master. Hello to Persis a dear friend and hard worker in Christ. Hello to Rufus, a good choice by the master and his mother. She's also been a dear mother to me. Hello to someone whose name I can't pronounce. (laughs) To Phlegon, Hermes, Patrobas, Hermas, and also to all their families. Hello to Philologus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the followers of Jesus who live with them. Holy embraces all round. All the churches of Christ send their warmest greetings. Hooray! (laughs) Now, the point is, individuals matter. Individuals matter. They mattered enough to Paul. He knew their names and he hadn't forgotten them. They'd engraved themselves on Paul's memory bank. What about you? What about me? Who would be writing about you or me in a letter to their friends? How would your letter go? How would you end it? Mine would go something like this, I think. Hello to Nicholas and Annie. They strengthened our hand in the Lord. Greet Jeff. He taught me over years what faithfulness looks like. And I'm so grateful for the years he encouraged me to believe in God who will provide. Treat David and Claire with special honour because through them many have come to follow the Lord. Say hello to David and Iona, our companions in Christ's work. They give of themselves constantly to build up God's people. Hang around them and you'll be inspired. Say hello to Joel and Caroline. In many continents and many places over many years, they have led people into the presence of God. They're an inspiration. What will people be writing about you? What will people be writing about me? Say hello to Rupert. He, be sure of this. Each of us has a role to play in building up God's family, in resourcing God's family. There's a phrase that's becoming trendy at the moment of being a resource church. But I'm talking about how to be a resource individual. Paul needed them, and we need them. 
Now, I pause at this point just to say there are two reactions that I've sometimes heard to this kind of teaching, this kind of message, and neither of these two reactions will bless you. And the first one is this. Just occasionally, not often, just occasionally I've met someone who will say, and they've told me, I don't need friends. Or you could put it in brackets, I don't need to be part of a fellowship. Well, let me tell you, if you seriously believe either of those two things, you're seriously misguided. You're just simply wrong. Because nobody makes it through life on their own. If you determine that you can live and get by as an island, one day you will find yourself dreadfully isolated. It's a terrible track to go down. Don't go there. You'll find no example in Scripture of anyone who prevails as a lone ranger. And the second uh, attitude not to have at this point is the attitude, well, I never could have friends. I'm simply not popular. You could have friends. But you, along with everyone else, will have to decide to put some effort into making, establishing, and keeping friends. And if we're just sitting there waiting for the phone to ring, and if we're just sitting there thinking, oh, if only someone would ring me for a change, it's never going to happen, because we all have those dark thoughts from time to time. We have to take the initiative. A much better way to hear this talk, and I'm trying to give it in this way, really, is to ask yourself a much less threatening question than do I have friends like this in my life, to ask ourselves, who is it I could be a friend to? That's the road to set off down. And as I say, it matters because every single one of us has a part to play in God's plot, God's plan, God's family. So we're going to move on. But my first point is simply making the point, individuals do matter. Your name matters in the kingdom of God. And so now we need to look more closely at a friendship that Paul describes in Philippians. And I must say, in normal times, it's a little, a little joining passage, a couple of paragraphs. Probably you've been through the book of Philippians many, many times in your life. And I'm pretty sure that not many will have stopped the progress of the book to look at these verses. But now we see they're important. Philippians chapter 2, verse 19, where Paul describes what it was about Timothy that he saw as standout qualities. I hope in the Lord, he says, just to recap, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I might also be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. Everyone looks to their own interests not those of Jesus. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he served with me in the work of a gospel. And we can see a number of things here. We can see that fellowship is greater than friendship because we're yoked together in service of the gospel. We're yoked together by our common love of Jesus Christ. More than that, we're yoked together because we're slaves of Jesus Christ. That's how this book began. Paul, a slave of Jesus Christ. 
and there's a community amongst slaves, amongst bonds people, that we belong together in the fellowship of followers of Jesus Christ. But he also says about Timothy that he stands out because he has no one else like him. Now that must suggest this is a rare talent. He'll take a genuine interest in your welfare. A genuine interest in your welfare. I remember many, many years ago um, staying in a relative's house and on their bookcase was a, a bestseller book. It's still a bestseller book by a man called Dale Carnegie and it was called How to Win Friends and Influence People. And um, one of his tips was let people talk to you about themselves because everyone loves or nearly everyone likes talking about themselves. Let them talk to you about themselves and they'll go away thinking you're a wonderful person. Now, the thing is, what Dale Carnegie is writing about there, you might have won their approval if you adopt that strategy, but you haven't made a friend. And it's not part of fellowship to do that. It's not what Mr. Carnegie is really writing about is manipulation, how to manipulate people so they think you're great and you can use that to your advantage. That, that is not what fellowship is. Taking a genuine interest in someone else's welfare is so striking. It's so striking that when someone does that for you and for me, I think we're bound to notice it. It's a rare gift, but you can develop it. You can develop it. Timothy developed it. Quite some years ago, um, a leading churchman of his day, David Watson, wrote about uh, himself in an autobiography. And you might have thought he had been a leader of a super large church in York. He'd led missions all around the world. He really was one of uh, a high-profile church leader alongside someone like Billy Graham, someone like that. And he must have come in contact with hundreds of thousands of people. So it was all the more surprising that he should write this in his autobiography. And he's talking about a man called John Wimber. John is a large, lovable, warm, and gentle person. He has an able mind and wide Christian experience and shrewd spiritual discernment. Every now and then in my travels, I meet someone who I feel I can really trust Someone who loves me and accepts me as I am. Who's not trying to use me or manipulate me. There are not many like this, but John Wimber is one. And what he's describing there is very similar to Timothy to Paul. He takes a genuine interest in the other person's welfare. Not out for gain. So, the thing to be clocking as I'm saying this is, who could I be like that to? Who could I be like that to? Who is God calling me to be like that to? And the second thing we see about friendship in the passage that was read to us from Philippians is if we're going to be, if we're going to excel at friendship and fellowship, we have to go out of our way. You notice that Epaphroditus is a messenger. He is sent as someone to take an interest in someone else. And he he traveled specially to get close to Paul. And I, I think that's necessary. If, if we want to build up the fellowship, physically we might not be able to make the journey, but we can do so using a phone or using Zoom or whatever. 
And we have to sacrifice something to make it happen. Time, if nothing else. It is costly, this kind of fellowship, to become a dependable friend. But I simply don't see how you can and I can be one if we don't connect with other people. So we have to make space and time to make it happen. And I'm very motivated for us to be like this at this present time. Because there's every possibility that our relationships could dry up or fragment if we don't put our minds to it. It's obvious, isn't it? I look back now over many, many years and many, many friends, and actually I've sometimes wondered, so what is it when you're traveling quite a lot? Because if you, your job causes you to move from place to place, you uproot, and it's quite interesting to see who stays, as it were, in contact and in your friendship base, people that you can uh, pick up the phone and talk to. And I've found that those who follow Christ with all their heart, that is a bond. That really is. It, it, it rises above what normal friendship would look like. And I'm sure that was true for Paul as he traveled the world, as he spent time out of touch with people physically. Nevertheless, he was able to stay close because they were on the same page spiritually. So another aspect to uh, making good friendship and good fellowship is make sure you're on fire yourself close to Jesus Christ. Because if you start to get distance from him, you will not only fall away from him, most likely you will fall away from your close Christian friends as well. Within the family of St. Michael's, it's such an obvious thing for me to say, but during this lockdown period, which could go on for goodness knows how long, we really got to make an extra effort to stay connected. And, And I want to beseech you, I really want to implore you, Take the right steps to make sure that you stay connected with a group of people from St. Michael's. And small groups are going to be vital in this. And clearly now we're going to have to meet over Zoom or something similar. We can't meet in person during lockdown. But I want to say this really clearly. If, If you're not yet in a small group, this is a brilliant time to sign up. And and I would say that not just to the people who are here present in this church, but if there happen to be people listening online, it's important you're part of a small group. And we will bend over backwards to make sure that we multiply enough small groups because we just simply can't afford not to if we're going to keep the fellowship of believers alive. Are you hearing me? Let me put it every way I possibly can. If you fail to be part of a small group, you're going to dry up. Not because I want you to, but you will. You will wither. You cannot grow as a Christian on your own. It is not God's formula for growth, spiritual growth and thriving. And there's no reason why lockdown should lock us out of God's presence or out of fellowship. I want us to come back together when lockdown is over, whenever it is, all the more healthy. And it's so important. Uh, We haven't yet devised what we're going to do as a church together in lockdown because it was only announced last night. But my thinking is heading in the direction that as soon as we can, we will put something online, some kind of interactive thing, like some Zoom meeting, every single night of a week for just 15 minutes. And as many people as can and want to sign in can. It might be we have a testimony one night. It might be we have a Bible reading one night. 
It might be we have a prayer and session one night, but we need to stay connected. I don't want to give you any excuse to fall off the back of a bus. I think that's becoming clear. Good. So let's look lastly at the private habits that lead to Paul being so excellent at building fellowship. These are habits that he put in his life, you and I can put in our lives, and they will bring fellowship into our lives. At the very beginning of Philippians, let me read you Philippians chapter 1, verse 9 to 11. Well, actually, I'm not going to read that. <laughs> I thought I was, but I'm not. The first thing, you turn to Philippians chapter 1. The very first thing is pray, pray for your friends. He prayed for the Philippians. Make a short list, I would suggest. Make a short list of individuals that you can pray for consistently. And if you don't quite know what to pray, why not copy the prayer of Philippians chapter 1 verse 9. This is my prayer that your love might abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you'll be able to discern what's best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. I've sometimes found it useful at a time in my life when I was a commuter, I knew I had a walk from home to the tube station, and I dedicated part of that walk every day to praying for an individual person. The first five minutes of a walk, I prayed for person one. The next five minutes that I went past that lamppost or that shop to the next marker, I paid for someone else. If you know there's a habit in your life, you're habitually doing the same thing, why not assign a person to that time? And I'm absolutely certain of this, that like Paul praying for the Philippians, if you and I start praying, let's say for just three people, over time, even though they don't even know you're praying for them, it's inevitable that you will uh, become a spiritual supporter of theirs and drawn closer. Not just prayer, but secondly, he says of the Philippians, I have you in my heart. And he says, I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. And what he's saying is very touching, really. He's saying, Philippians, you've got under my skin. You've got under my skin. I have you in my heart. I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. And I love that because that absolutely cuts the ground from under any impression we might have of Paul being remote, so tough and battle-hardened that he never got close to people, that tells me actually underneath he was as soft as anything. And again, I'm pushing the point because he's pushing the point. This is more than the fellowship of stamp collectors. This is more than the fellowship you might find in a hospital ward or in the army. This is more than the fellowship you might find in a group of musicians playing in an orchestra this is none other than the fellowship of the Holy Spirit as we've already said once in this service may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit and he makes all the difference all the difference so as I close I'm just inviting you to think about the part you could play 
in being a resource person. I think the most hackneyed illustration that preachers ever use is the very, very old illustration of a pastor of a church. Normally this is set, I don't know why it should be, but it's normally set somewhere up in Scotland and the pastor's on his horse, you know, back in the day, and he rides out on his horse and he comes to a crofter's cottage and he walks into the crofter's cottage and there is the crofter sitting in front of a fire and the old sage of a pastor doesn't say a word, he just picks up the tongs and he picks out a piece of coal and he puts it on the hearth and they still don't say a word to each other and they just stare at it until it goes out and out goes the pastor and the message is delivered and this story is normally told with the thrust of if you cut yourself off from God's church you will grow cold well, fair enough but actually there's another dimension to this which is rarely talked about if you cut yourself off from God's family you will be shortchanging the other people in that family because they need you. They need exactly the person God has made you to be and is making you into. They need the gifts and skills that is uniquely you. And this came home to me in a very forceful way um, quite some years ago now, about 24, 25 years ago when a couple made their way into the back of the church that I was leading back in those days. And the first time I met them, um, I didn't know anything about them at all, then they just said they were house hunting and church hunting. They were trying to find a church which they felt they could grow in and they could serve in, and they wanted to find that before they would find a house. And that encouraged me no end. When they came back the second week, I was very encouraging. Always good to come back two weeks. But when they came back week three, four, and five, uh, that was even better. And then news got to me that the man, in fact, had been dean of a church in Arkansas. And I suddenly felt very nervous and thought, oh, my goodness. You know, he's been sitting, listening to me, uh, week in, week out now for quite some weeks. I don't know anything about him. I know his name, and that's it. So I invited him to come and have a cup of coffee. And in the course of the cup of coffee, I said to him, Joel, um, I'm concerned about two things. I'm concerned, first of all, every single week now, for quite some weeks, you've been walking away from your house in the close in Salisbury and and, um, turning your back on a place you could worship where there are lots of people very, very like you, and you're coming to this church in a rather different part of town, very run-down part of town, and joining us in worship and I'm just concerned I mean you've probably worked this out Joel but I'm just concerned that you're cutting yourself off from a group of people who could be your natural friends to join us and he said Rupert I've reached an age and a stage where the only person I really want to please is one person and his name is Jesus Christ and I said Joel well if that's your attitude we're going to get on fine that's great you know keep coming keep coming And he became a regular member of the church. And actually, every week, pretty much every week, for about three or four years, I would go and meet with him, and we would study a passage of scripture together. But I would offload on him all the challenges I was finding of leading this church. And because of his seasoned experience of being a church leader, he just gently was able to nudge me in the right direction and guide me and help me out. And when I reflected on that, 
after some years of this, I thought, my goodness, I'm so grateful that they're part of this fellowship. I'm so grateful that that's how they ordered their lives. Our fellowship, I thought, and my life would be so much the poorer if they hadn't connected in that way. And then over years, I've seen, and this is just illustrating the whole of my message, really, this morning. If any single one of us, if any single one of us just went into spiritual hibernation and stopped contributing to the body of Christ, we would be robbing one another of God's treasures. And I feel this message is exceptionally timely for us. Because one of the inadvertent things of having to resort to just virtual church online is whether you like it or not, it has every possibility of just turning us into consumers. And over the three or four months that Liz and I were um, not leading a church while I was recovering from COVID, we sort of laughed together that we joined three churches in America and we left them. And we loved joining them and we loved leaving them. But we didn't contribute at all. It, it was, that's not how the Christian life is meant to be. And I'm sure a part of us died in that period because we were so fruitless. And I, I'm just reminding us, in, I'm full of confidence about this, the family of St. Michael's is not going to diminish in lockdown. We are absolutely not going to fragment. We're absolutely not just going to go stagnant. We're going to find ways of keeping our spiritual life alive. And one of those is serving each other. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for us.